Christ is born to save. Let's bow before him. Lord God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, that we can be people that rejoice because of what you have provided through your birth of your son, Jesus, through his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And now he sits at your right hand, Father, uh, interceding for us. And we pray, Lord, that men and women, boys and girls, under the sound of this music, under the sound of this preaching, will be drawn to you and turn from their sin and accept you as as Christ, uh, as their Lord and Savior today. Lord, for the rest of us who are believers, we pray that we would just pour our hearts out in praise to you, Lord, and that we would remember that this is such an awesome time of year to share the message of Jesus Christ with friends and family and neighbors and co-workers and and classmates. Lord, uh, help us never to miss an opportunity to lift you up. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. If, uh, If you would grab one of these connection cards... We would appreciate that and fill that out. Maybe you're a first or second time guest with us. We would love to know you're worshiping with us, so please fill that out. And then um, these are our, our Back to Bethlehem uh, invite cards. We still have, I don't know, maybe four or 500 of them left. So be sure and get those handed out uh, this, uh, uh, this week. And for the upcoming week, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we'll be having uh, Back to Bethlehem. Let's see, did I have, oh, I wanted to say thank you to um, the 200, now we didn't have 280 last night uh, involved in Bethlehem, but overall, our, our church members and attenders who were involved in uh, Back to Bethlehem, whether in costume or behind the scenes, total over 280 people. So God bless you for being involved in this ministry. And God blessed us with uh, 328 folks who saw the message of Jesus Christ last night. And so, pray, uh, continue to pray for good weather and good attendance. Uh, so the the uh, weather service says it's going to rain at 7 tonight, but I don't think so. Right? That's not going to happen. So, pray for that, please. And... Um, the other thing, uh, seniors, we want to say a special thank you uh, to senior adults. We, uh, it's not been a, uh, an easy couple of years, has it, for senior adults? And so we just want to say thank you as a church, invite you to a Christmas dinner, no cost to you, all catered, uh, but we do need to know who's coming. So uh, Sunday school teachers, if you have a list that you need to turn in to me, please do that today. T- today at noon is the deadline. If you haven't signed up, please see me right after the service, and we'll get you signed up, okay? So we just would want you to come, and we just want to say we love you. We realize it's been a tough year, and we just want to be a blessing to you uh, this Tuesday for lunch, okay? Um, the last thing, quickly, is Saturday is Giving Christmas, another huge ministry to outreach to our community. And so if you haven't uh, yet gotten involved in that, see Danielle right after this. I bet you she can... <laughs> get you involved what what's up what's what's going on we need more money (laughs) so with giving christmas i was going to say this is the end we could take a little more to help offset the expenditures for giving christmas so if you haven't given to that do so all right thank you that's what i'm talking about give it to daniel (laughs) we're going to pray for multiplication I don't. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with that. Oh well, yeah, it's true. Okay, I'll put it in an envelope. Okay. 
So today, as oh, I'm gonna. We should have had this lit. Can you roll back the camera? <laughs> what short one? But then it's gonna be really short. It's okay. <laughs> Y'all were afraid this was gonna happen, didn't you? <laughs> They knew I was sort of acting goofy because I was up too late last night. All right. Week one, we lit the candle of prophecy. Today, we're going to light the candle of deity. And this song reminds us of that. Uh, when Jesus became human, became, uh, from, came from deity to humanity, uh, he made a great, let's, we should say the greatest sacrifice ever. And this song reminds us of that. Jesus Christ, I think, upon your sacrifice. Sing. Heart, the herald angels sing. 
question was, is God, Jesus fully God? He himself said he was, right? In John 8, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, if you really want to tick off a bunch of Hebrew scholars in the first century, that's what you tell them. But he told them what has already been said by God himself, Yahweh himself, right? In Exodus, God answers to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So God was simply quoting his father, right? And so we know without a doubt that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. This song reminds us of that.
Jesus to their hope I want him to be a piece of my hope if that describes you only God knows I'm not telling you you probably are lost if you're just trying to add God to have a little piece of hope but if you can sing this all my hope then you are a true believer Amen. Let's sing it together. 
Last week, the first candle, the candle of prophecy, was lit. Today, we light the second candle, the candle of deity. The witness of the New Testament is that God became a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament promised that he would come, and the New Testament testifies that he came. Thus, at the very outset of his gospel, John stated his thesis that the Word is the eternal God of the ages who came in human flesh. John 1.1 affirms that Jesus is co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent, and consubstantial of the same substance with the Father. Jesus pre-existed with the Father in eternity past. May this truth drive us to our knees in worship as we embrace Peter's emphatic testimony as our own. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. In John 1, 1 and 14 through 18, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness 
we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him fully known. Hebrews 10, 5-7. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll in the book. Let's pray together. Our great and gracious God, there is no language on earth that has the words sufficient to give voice to our praise when we contemplate all that Christ has done for us. How could we ever thank you enough for sending your own dear son from heaven to earth in the form of a lowly baby born in earthly poverty to be our redeemer and substitute? When we think of the fullness of his condescension and sacrifice and his humble obedience to death on the cross, it's beyond our mind's ability to grasp. Father, it should make us long for the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We thank you, Father, that he was born like us so that we might become like him. He made himself a servant to show us how to lead his servants. He gave his life that we might live. And Father, he suffered so that we might share in his glory. In response, we can only offer our highest words of praise, knowing how utterly feeble our best worship is compared to the matchless worth of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to worship you as you deserve. Fill us with hope and assurance. Conform us to Christ's likeness and help us to walk in his steps. May our lives honor you better than our tongues are able. And we ask all of this in the most high and worthy name of Jesus. Amen. Yes! Man, that's some praying preaching right there. Thank you, brother. Uh, you know, prayer done corporately as a body, we should engage our God with our fellow brothers and sisters. We are praying to our God, and what an awesome reminder of the glory of Jesus. Well, Hebrews chapter 10, you've got a little taste of that in uh, the Advent reading. And let's read it in its entirety. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. This is what the Holy Word of the Lord says. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come... Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Let that sink into your mind. Shadow, shadowy substance, shadowy, uh, shadow of the good things. Instead of the true realities, can never by the same sacrifices continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For 
it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Yeah, uh, good Christian men rejoice. One verse says, he hath opened heaven's door, and we are blessed forevermore. Aren't you thankful that he walked out heaven's door so that we could go in? Well, here it is. Verse 5, consequently, and here's the participial phrase, as he was coming into the world. He said, Sacrifice, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings you have, not, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And verse 10, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hallelujah. What a text. Now, the treatments that we receive when we go to the doctor are not reminders that we are completely well, but that we still get sick. Don't you wish that when this COVID thing hit, they would have said, hey, come to the doctor, you get one shot, and it takes care of it forever, and you never have to come back again. But now, we have to have a booster. Now, I get all that, I do. But would it not be awesome for the doctor to say to us, we've got good news. we found the complete remedy for the illness. You only have to be treated once. And once you take that treatment, you are totally, thoroughly, and completely healed. And the proof of the fact of the treatment that it worked is you never have to come back again. Well, folks, under the Old Covenant, every year on the Day of Atonement, sacrifices were made. But then they had to be made again the next year as the people had to come back. And not only that, in between the times you had to bring burnt offerings And you had to bring other sacrifices for sin. This repeated nature of the sacrifices was not a reminder that we had been forgiven. But that there was still sin. Right? So the thing that needed to hear, we needed to hear, we wanted to hear, that they wanted to hear, was that the sacrifice was made. And there was this pronouncement, you don't have to come back next year. The power and the efficacy of Christ's sacrifice is seen in this. It never has to be repeated. It never has to be repeated. So today, I want you to see the complete Christmas understanding. Don't just stop at Bethlehem. Understand that it didn't start in Bethlehem. It started from the foundations of the world. And here, if you want to say it this way, Have you ever heard of a baby talking intelligently as he came into the world? Well, this is the Son of God for all eternity. And counsel with his Father as he is coming into this world. Jesus is not a Johnny-come-lately. Well, the Son of God is not, right? The Son of God has existed for all eternity. And here we have this conversation which reminds us of the deity of Christ but also lets us see the coming of Jesus into this world from his own viewpoint. This is how Christ saw his coming into the world. This is the purpose that he came. So, the glory is that through the death of Jesus, our sin has been removed once and for all. 
We don't need to go back to a tabernacle. We don't have to go back to a temple. You don't even have to go back to the hill of Mount Calvary because what has taken place has taken place once for all time. Never needs to be repeated. Jesus is our great high priest. And what he has done for us, those Old Testament sacrifices could never do. Hear this. He actually put away sin once for all. And for that, he is worthy to be praised. So when you get to this point of chapter 10, 1 through 10, it is really the culmination of the writer of Hebrews' discussion on the Son of God who is our high priest. So 1 through 18 of of chapter 10, 1 through 18 is really a reiteration of what the writer has already told us many times in Hebrews. We can't preach it all in one setting, of course. So he's reiterating the imperfection of the old and the perfection of the new. And perhaps more than any other place in Hebrews, this message presents to us clearly the Christian gospel. And therefore, it calls us all to think clearly about the message of Christmas. We may say to think clearly about the complete Christmas and all the implications that come with us, with it. So the message of forgiveness in and of itself is as a follows. Listen to this. One, we have a problem with sin. And you've got this problem either, even if you think you are ritualistically religious and don't need a doctor. Jesus says you do need a doctor. We're all sinners. Number two, the problem of sin has been dealt with in the person and work of our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And third, God's work is decisive. It's a final reckoning with sin by which his people are in a new covenant and made perfect forever. Chapter 10 Verse 14, right? So please remember how revolutionary this would have been uh, to early Christians who their, their whole life was going back again and again to the doctor to get treatment, right? Every single year on the, uh, the Day of Atonement they have, would have to go. And in between that, they were going, think how revolutionary this would have been to them. It's, the writer is saying, look, we've got a high priest who has offered the perfect sacrifice. And you don't have to go back any more. What God was always after wasn't the blood of bulls and goats. He was after a perfect, obedient heart. And he got that through the second person of the divine trinity, the Son of God, who came in human flesh. So I want you to see two things from our text, just real fast, not difficult. Do the best we can to draw out what's going on in this passage. I love, I would have loved to jump down to verse 5. Because it's good stuff. But let's do one through four. And let's talk about it in this manner. The law cannot make us perfect. Okay? That's really what's going on in one through four. In other words, there's a shadow of God's final intention. That's really what you see in verses one through four. There's no question. It's dealing with the inability of the law. The inability is that it could not make us perfect. Now get this. When it says perfect, it is the perfection he has in mind does not involve a lack of flaws but rather the state of right relationship with God in which the worshipers are once for all cleansed from sin and delivered from a nagging sense of guilt. So the law has a shadow of the good things to come, but not the substance. In other words, the law in and of itself was incomplete. The law prefigured something, but it wasn't the something. The law represented something, but it wasn't the something. The law was like a finger pointing, right? 
And the finger was pointing to Christ. Don't get consumed with the finger. Get consumed with where it's pointing. Right? And it was pointing everlastingly to Jesus Christ. So it is the reality of Christ that is the source of the shadow. So if you see a shadow, then you must assume that behind the shadow is something. And the something is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the, uh, he's a better mediator. He establishes better promises. He establishes a, the once for all sacrifice for our sins. And that is the theme of Hebrews. So, hey folks, there's good things. You see it in the text? For since the law has but a shadow of the good things. Aren't you thankful for the good things? So the writer is going to move ahead to prove this from the Old Covenant itself in two ways. See it in your outline? Proof number one is that the sacrifices could not perfect the worshipers. These sacrifices incessantly offered up over and over and again could not perfect the worshiper. How many times were we told this in Hebrews? Tons and tons of times. But let me just give you a few verses. Chapter 7 verse 11. In my Bible I just turned left one time. With one page. Just look to the left. Take one page. Chapter 7, verse 11. In other words, the sacrifices could not perfect the worshipers. Listen to the word of the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, who is who? Yeah, Christ, rather than one named after the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe. The list goes on and on, or the discussion does. Primarily understand that that text is talking about the imperfection of the law in order to make us right before God eternally. Verse 19, listen to this. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. Which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. But deal only with food and drinks and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, securing our eternal redemption. Hallelujah for the text. So this could not bring about the goal. The law could not bring about the goal of the covenant. Under those stipulations, under those arrangements, the goal was to bring about what? Forgiveness of sins. Access to our God and acceptance before God. And the law could never do that. Why? Because it was not designed to do that. All right, number two, he also argues from repetition to prove its inability. Not only was it, it didn't perfect the worshiper, but just consider what he just says in the text. There's the repetition of the sacrifices over and over and over again, which proves the inability of the law to make, to make it possible, right, for full acceptance. So the mission would have been accomplished if, they could, it, that it, if it could have brought, back, brought perfection, the mission would have been accomplished. There would have been no more need to come back every year. 
Incidentally, some people believe that's proof that Hebrews was written before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD because Paul is using all this information that should have been jogging their memories. Incidentally, again, I think it was written before AD 70. Now, what he is saying is this. If the worshiper, priest or people, would have actually experienced the full cleansing of sin, they would no longer have had a conscience of sin. They would not have felt the guilt, the remaining guilt of their sin. There would have been no need to go back year after year because they would feel no need to go back, right? Remember our doctor analogy? If he tells you your treatment's full and you're healed forever, do you need to go back to the doctor? No. So, repetition conflicts with finality. It's not final if you have to repeat it. An action that is final does not tolerate repetition. Right? An action that must be repeated all the time we call inconclusive. In verse 3 he tells us that the repetition actually served a purpose. Yet the purpose was simply to remind the worshiper of sin. It was a reminder of their sin before God as opposed to a bestowal of confidence that we have today because of Jesus. Can you imagine what the people thought? Often as the priests went in to make atonement for their sin. Let me tell you what I would have thought. Is this dude clean? And if you happen to have your tent beside his tent. Before he walked into the tent of the Holy of Holies. And you saw him kick his dog. And speak awkwardly to his wife. Or sinfully. Then you're like I'm in trouble. Right? This guy was bearing the sins of the people. This guy was going in on behalf of the people before a holy God. Imagine the thoughts that went through the minds of those people. You understand that Jesus knew no sin. He didn't have to have any kind of sacrifice for his own sin. He had none. He gave himself up freely for us. Just think about it in this light, the repetition. Think if you got, and you know, there's been a lot on TV about this lately, about they always put these uh, courtroom discussions. I saw one this week when they were setting, trying to set the bail for individuals. And they were trying to you know, think about well, what's the life sentence going to be. And I heard recently someone got, what, four years of consecutive 100-year sentences. But let's think about this in your own life. Let's say that you get a prison sentence. And here it is. 100 consecutive 100-year sentences. Every year, you get to go before the parole board. And let's say, for instance, you have a very tender-hearted parole board. They're so soft-hearted that they parole you. But here are the guidelines of the parole. They can only actually parole you one sentence for every year. So you just get another year, 100-year sentence reduced from your sentence. Do the math at this point. You will still be in prison, and you'll still have to come back the next year because you've got 99 more of those 100-year sentences. And even though you get a slip of paper to remove the sentence for the crimes of the sentence, there's still a reminder that you sinned and committed a crime. Imagine the radical difference, ladies and gentlemen, it would make if the parole board walked in and said, you are forgiven of all your crimes. We've lumped them all together and someone else actually came in and paid the penalty and you are absolutely and thoroughly free. This, my friends, is the glory of the new covenant. And God says, I will remember their sins no more. That's actually in Hebrews chapter 10. So I've got some incredible news for you. 
Jesus paid it all. Right? Just like the song says. Well, some of you are thinking, well, pastor, I'm not that bad. I don't, there's no way I have these descendants of sin against me. Yes, you are. You are really. You are before the Lord. You're even worse than you think you are. Right? And you say, well, pastor, that's just not me. So, let's suppose that we could take your thought life and project it on the screen of this church for everyone to see in a 24-hour span. How would you feel about that? You okay with that? How about your hidden sins that you've carried in your life for years and years and years projected on the screen of this church? You are pretty bad, aren't you? Amen? We are. Just think about this for a moment. So, God says, I will remember your sins no more. In verse 4, he just says it bluntly, doesn't he? For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's impossible. He says it bluntly. It could never bring full forgiveness and offer a cleansed conscience. It simply could not. So all through the Old Testament is him showing the sinfulness of sin and the incredible holiness and righteousness of our God and the fact that you can't come to God on your own terms but only on his. Ultimately, that old covenant arrangement pointed to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The old covenant was, just not, was not just an illusion to give a false hope. It was a glorious shadow of an anticipation of a real hope in Christ Jesus the Lord. So, one of these days, God would send a deliverer. And you're looking at it in this text. Now, for the, I'm bouncing forward until the 19th. Is that right? Seven days? Sunday the 19th. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. Do you know that the Lord's Supper is a perpetual reminder, not of our sin, but of God's grace? The blood of Christ has washed away our sin. The grace and mercy of God has invited us into God's family. So, it is like someone who did receive that once for all present time healing from cancer. Where, where you're healed from it, but it's, it's never going to be there again. When you go back to the doctor, right? It's not a reminder of how sick you are, but to remember that you've actually been healed. When we come before the Lord of glory and partake of the Lord's Supper, that's what we're saying. You have put away our sins. So here's a plug for the Lord's Supper. You ought to come to it. As often as you do this, you do it in remembrance to me, or for me, or in remembrance of what Christ has done. Folks, do you understand that some of you have been here for 10 years and you've never partaken of the Lord's Supper possibly? What are we thinking? No wonder we do not rejoice and praise God for the sacrifice of Christ once for all because we don't engage our hearts and minds in what God asks us to do. As often as you do this, there's a reason for it, right? So, it doesn't remind us of our wretchedness when we partake of the Lord's Supper. It reminds us of the righteousness of God imputed to us. Hallelujah for that. All right, you ready for the Christmas text? My watch says i got five minutes. It won't take long. Here it is. Whereas, first, we see that the law cannot make us perfect. Beginning in verse 5, we see Jesus obeyed perfectly the will of God. So, we see first, of course, uh, the fact that there was a shadow of God's, uh, of the Lord God's final intention. But in Christ, we see the Son's perfection. That's the intention, right? That's the ultimate thing. And so, just note this again. 
Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said. And immediately the author is going to run to an Old Testament text. And it is actually in Psalm 40. Let me just go ahead and read that so you can have it in your mind. Psalm 40, verses 6 through 7. Are you there? Turn fast. You don't want me to preach all the way up to the time we've got to get ready for Bethlehem, right? Chapter 40, verse 6. Listen close. Go to the middle of your Bible. Open it up. You may have to traverse left or right a little bit. You'll get there. Psalm 40. The Bible says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Wow, what in the world? An open ear, burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, who's talking? Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. Folks, do you all understand how staggering and absolutely astonishing this is in its range for the Son to be talking to the Father as He comes into the world? Just, just stop and think about this. The Son of God is talking to the Father in eternal counsel as He is coming into this world. That's staggering in its range. It goes outside of time and it goes inside of God. It gives us a divine dialogue between the Father and the Son. So the Godhead, which is the Father, Son, and the Spirit, right? They're not unaware of the predicament that you see in verses 1 through 4. Are y'all listening? The the predicament doesn't slip past the God of eternity, but, but they know full well God, three persons in one. They know what's going on. So basically we're confronted with a problem of the imperfection of the law and the sacrificial system. And there was an an imperfect cleansing, an imperfect conscience, and a memorialization of imperfection that existed in the entire Old Covenant. Uh, Amos, don't turn there, but just listen. In the book of Amos, we see this clearly underscored. Amos chapter 5, listen, beginning in verse 21. I hate... I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And folks, Christ is the ever-flowing righteous stream, right? And so there's this understanding that they deep down knew that that system was not taking care of the removal of sin. They understood that animal sacrifice was insufficient to obtain forgiveness. The old covenant was simply could not make perfect those who draw near to worship. It was good as far as it went, but it was frustratingly inadequate. This passage reveals what Jesus thought about his coming into this world. And beneath All of that predicament of the inability of the law was the sovereign God of the universe orchestrating the magnificent entrance of the Lord God of eternity into this world to save us from our sins. Hallelujah. Real quickly, Jesus saw his coming as the fulfillment of the word of God. Do you see it? I mean, does this this elevate an understanding of God's word? For Jesus 
to be discussing Psalm 40, 6 through 8, as he is coming into this world. And these are not words spoken of the Father about the Son. This is the Son of God himself giving us these words. And he's telling us that his coming into this world is a fulfillment. Now, what a high place it has on Scripture. Verse, Psalm 40, verse 6 literally reads, Ears, in Hebrew, you have dug for me. Where it says there, ears open, it means ears you have dug for me. So the Greek paraphrase of it that Christ actually is quoting in Hebrews and the author of Hebrews is a body you have prepared for me. So this is because Greek translators regarded the creation of the ears as the fashioning of the whole body. Isn't that incredible? My father, Jesus says, the Old Testament sacrifices have proven unsatisfactory. But a body. You have prepared for me. A body you have prepared for me. That I might become a pleasing sacrifice. So the phrase is actually in the perfect tense. And it means the volume of the book. It stands written of me. He saw his coming as the fulfillment of the word of God. He's looking at his entrance into the world as very man. And in his body he would blot death out and sin. Hallelujah. He saw his coming also as a commitment to the will of God. I came to do your will, O God. Jesus states a joyous resolve to obey his Father. Not begrudgingly, but voluntarily. Not under duress, but joy. Joyfully doing this. The word low means that something special and solemn and surprising is about to be revealed. Have you ever stopped to consider what a divine spectacle it would have been on that night when the Son of God came into this world? Don't you know that it brought the angels from heaven? It brought, two years later, the magi from the east. It it also brought the shepherds out of the field. You know, I'm a shepherd out there. You know, we're the best of that program out there. I hope you understand that. (laughs) But just think about this for a moment. He came to shepherds of all people. Just think about the incredible spectacle of God condescending to this earth. I hope you never get over that. Right? Just to consider that. And it's not something that was plan B, C, or D. There's never been that kind of plan. It's only one plan from the foundation of the world. Only one. Right? So, think of this. God came. What a spectacle it would have been to God the Father to consider his son leaving the confines of heaven to the angels, to the shepherds, to all men. Then he says, I come. He did so by consent and by choice. He never acted independently of his father. What is the application for us? What is Jesus' joyous resolve to obey his father as a true sacrifice in worship? How does that affect us? How does that affect you? Jesus does what God the Father desired for every one of true worshipers. Did he not? He did what God desires for all of us. What he wanted and still wants today is obedience. That's what he wants from us. That is the only sacrifice that is actually acceptable before God. Everything else is ashes if we're not living in conscious obedience to God. In light of Christ's obedience to the Father, is there something you know God wants you to do but you've been unwilling? Well, this is rubber hits the road here, right? Perhaps it is a kindness to perform. Maybe it's a confession this morning that you need to make. 
Maybe it's a gift that you need to give. Maybe it's a commitment you need to fulfill. Maybe it's a task that you ought to perform. God, the Son, delighted in doing the will of the Father. It's not recorded anywhere in the Word of God where bulls and goats and calves ever said, Here I am to do your will. But our God did. I, Jesus said, give my life to save my people in submission to the Father's will. Hallelujah. He saw his coming as fulfillment of the word of God, commitment to the will of God. And please don't miss this one. He saw his coming as the settlement to the only way to God. It's called the exclusivity of the gospel. When he said above, you have neither desire nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings... These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Don't you see that it's the obedience, the perfect obedience of the Son that pleased the Father. Only a perfect man could absorb the penalty of our sin. The perfect Son has come into the world as perfect man, and finally, by virtue of his life, death, and resurrection, he has vindicated, he is vindicated as our high priest, seated at the right hand of the Father to secure our eternal salvation. It was a once-for-all sacrifice that frees everybody in this room, if you trusted Christ, from your debt that you owe for sin. Thank God for it. In conclusion, do you know this morning out of personal experience... The peace of trusting fully and perfectly in the Father's work and the Father's will that Jesus Christ himself accomplished in becoming the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Do you know this personally by experience that you put your trust in Christ alone, the very one who perfectly fulfilled the Father's will? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone? I want to remind you this morning that there is a killer that's worse than cancer. And the glorious news of the gospel is this. There is a once-for-all remedy for your fatal disease. And it is the righteousness and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. This remedy is perfect. And it cleanses us forever. It cleanses us forever. Please go back to the one who took away your sins forever. Turn to Jesus. Look to him. You'll never have to go back to that clinic again. Look to Jesus. Trust in Christ. In Him alone is salvation. Kids, when I was growing up, my mom and dad and others reminded me that I can do anything I put my mind to. Your parents ever told you that? Have they? Have they told you that if you work hard, if you have determination, perseverance, confidence, preparation, willingness, those things will help in life. As a matter of fact, those are sweat-stained values that have marked my life and for which I am so incredibly grateful. In other words, if you're willing to work hard for your dreams, you can accomplish them. They were right. Nevertheless, I want to remind you that life has a hard edge to it. And we'll have to be forced to face some limitations sooner or later. All your kids are not going to be Barry Bonds. Just go ahead and understand it's not going to happen. You think they are, but they're not. Okay? Life has a hard edge to it. We're forced to face limitations sooner or later. We fail, and we fail repeatedly. You ever been there? Some tasks and goals in life will always be outside of my reach. I know y'all think I'm wonderful. 
but I'll never run a four-minute mile. <laughs> right? And you probably won't either. Uh, I cannot speak all the languages of the world. I don't even speak the one that we speak in our country very well. Right? Growing up, we're wonderfully limited, wonderfully dependent. But I want to tell you something. You grow out of some of those limitations. But there is one limitation you will not outgrow. And it's a limitation which your parents and your parents and all the ancestors to time immemorial have not been able to handle by force of human will. And that limitation, of course, has to do with your sin. But listen to this. We'll never overcome it. We'll never on our own turn back his consequences. But I know one who can. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Because listen, in honor of the Lord, a few seconds we got left, let your eyes fall down to verse 11. Chapter 10, verse 11. Just let the text speak on its own. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And regarding that doctor's visit, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. It was final. It was forever. Do you know Christ? You know, as Paul and Peter preached in the word of God, this was the response of true conversion. God initiates anytime everyone is ever saved through the preaching of the word and the Holy Spirit of God. Conversion is repentance and faith. That's true conversion. Repentance is the negative side of conversion. You turn away from sin. Get it? Paul said to the Thessalonican believers, We know that the gospel was manifest in your presence for two reasons. For this reason, you turned to God from sin to serve the living and the true God. You know, it's possible, in other words, when real gospel, the gospel of Christ comes to you in power, that's what he says in Ephesians 1, it comes in power and it will be manifested with fruit. And when it is, you turn to God from idols. Don't you know it's possible to turn from one idol to another? But folks, when you turn to God, you will turn from idols. That's true repentance. You turn to God. Faith is the positive side of the ledger. You put your trust in Jesus Christ only, that once-for-all sacrifice wherein God paid the penalty for your sin. Are you there? Uh, we, we, we don't use that word much anymore. We don't, we don't think about conversion. But it is regeneration that leads to conversion according to the word of God. Conversion, repentance, and faith toward God. Every time Peter preached it, he would say, repent and believe. Repentance and faith. Do you know the Lord this morning? Are you saved? 
your name can be on a Baptist church ledger. I mean, we got, I don't know how many James now. We got contacts everywhere. We got tons and tons of names. But just because your name is on a church roll doesn't mean you know Christ. Have you identified with the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Christ? Do you know Jesus? Have you, have you trusted in that once for all sacrifice of the Son of God for you? Let's pray. Lord, help us, Father. We thank you for the blessings of life. We thank you for the Christmas season. Uh, Lord, we know it's convoluted in our world. Uh, people care about the sentimentality of a, a manger scene, and, and we, we get all that. But at least, Lord, sometimes during this time of year, people are more readily aware that Christians believe something. And Lord, thank you that we have an opportunity to share with them that it didn't stop or begin in Bethlehem. That you had a purpose for coming into this world. And Lord, you're the only person that's ever come into the world and told us why you came and you came to die. And you did so to redeem us from our sins. And Father, Lord God, we praise you for the obedience of the Son. And Lord God of eternity, the Son of God, we praise you that you voluntarily obeyed the will of the Father. Thank you, Lord God, for such a great salvation. If there's someone lost today, may they be converted. Turn from sin. Trust, believe in Jesus as the only settlement to the only way to God. You said it, Lord Jesus. You're the way, the truth, and the life. And no one will come to you except through the Lord. No one comes to the Father but through the Son. God, help us. Help us in this time of invitation. And for Christians, let us rejoice and praise you that you entered into this world. And we see another facet of that as we open up the word of God in Hebrews 10. Thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing together a hymn of invitation. Oh, come, all ye Oh,
Brother J.C. and Miss Diane. You can be seated just for a moment. won't take but a moment. This, come on up here. This is J.C. and Diane Beckner. And uh, I don't know what the Lord's doing. I guess he's trying to test me to make sure I'm uh, stay on my toes. But we've had preachers come join our church lately. And J.C. is a pastor. And, uh, well, right now he's a transitional pastor. And Miss Diane, his dear wife. And they want to be a part of this body. And so uh, this will be a good home base for them, in his words. And he'll continue to do transitional work, preach whenever the Lord opens the door, even here, right? Praise the Lord. Amen. So we praise the Lord God for bringing them to our church family. Amen. Amen. A little little note about where J.C. is going. He's going to start his work at National Heights next Sunday. And y'all, all, many of you know and love Jim Jeffries. And that's where he pastored for many years. Come and visit. Ah, watch out. Watch out. No, it is totally fine. We're, right. We're on the same team, brother. That's right. That's right. So praise the Lord for J.C. and Miss Diane. And uh, Chris and Samantha, y'all come on up. Y'all can stay here. Chris and Samantha uh, Evans, uh, they are coming by statement of faith. They've both trusted you. They're coming by transfer of letter from a sister SBC church. Okay? Uh, They're coming by statement of faith. They both have trusted Jesus as Lord. They both have followed in believers' baptism. And Chris and Samantha, uh, most people thought y'all were already members, right? You did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris went to Guatemala with us, did a wonderful job. I mean, it's a blessing to see how gifts fit together, how those can be used. Uh, Chris and Jason uh, are able to help us so much with the simulcast that goes out. So what a blessing they are to our church. So, Chris and Samantha, we welcome you as members of First Baptist Church. To God be the glory. Amen. Yeah. All right. I'll uh, have y'all all four go out back there toward Don. Um, don't forget, uh, Don, am I missing anything this morning? Okay. Other than to please think about giving a gift to Giving Christmas for this coming uh, Saturday. All right. Uh, back to Bethlehem tonight. Uh, we... Uh, have to be concerned a little bit about rain, right? But when they say a 6% chance it's going to rain, it's a 40% chance it's not going to rain. That's the way I always look at it, right? But Lord willing, no matter when it starts, we can get some time in. And every, every group that comes through is important. Amen. Every group that comes through is going to hear the gospel, okay? So uh, let's uh, be here tonight, ready to go in costume, and uh, to God be the glory. Uh, please tell your friends, next week it's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and uh, I think David and I thought about this early on. The reason we do five nights is because it's December. And if you lose one, maybe you get four. If you lose two, maybe you get three, okay? So that's the goal of it all. If we get all five, to the praise of God's glory, we'll, we'll do all five. Amen. All right, God bless you. David? Amen. Let's sing this. Jesus Christ is born to save. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now ye heed not fear the grave. Jesus Christ is born to save. Calls you once and calls you all. Who gain his everlasting hope. 